you. This morning, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. So if you'll turn in the New Testament to Philemon, it's only 32 verses long. You have the pastoral epistles of 1st and 2nd Timothy, then Titus, then you have Philemon, and then right after that is the book of Hebrews. So tucked in there between the pastoral epistle and the general epistle of Hebrews is Philemon. And this is also a good time for us to remember to turn our ringers off our phones. That which goes ding, ping, and ring, okay? That would be helpful. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we're here. We do want to be able to focus on your word. That's why we're here. Um, this is not a show. This is not um, entertainment. This is we get to study the precious word of God. And Lord, we want to honor your word. We want to be attentive. We want to be teachable. We desire right now to hear from you. And Lord, uh, draw us to yourself as we talk about relationships in the body of Christ. And there are those times that it can be difficult to receive someone who perhaps has wronged us. So this is written for us for our benefit and for our blessing. Open up our ears to what you desired to teach us and to hear from you, what the Spirit says to the churches. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as you recall, over the last several months, we've been in two of the prison epistles. We went through the book of Philippians, and then we finished Colossians last week. Paul, in his first imprisonment uh, for two years, waiting to go on trial before Caesar Nero, he would write what was called, as you have in the New Testament, the prison epistles. He, it is believed, would write the book of Ephesians, that major church in Asia Minor. And then shortly after that, he would write the book of Colossians, dealing with the false teachers that had come into the church. And towards the end of his uh, imprisonment, it is believed he would write the book of Philippians. And he would talk about the fruit that came from his witnessing to the palace guards that were getting saved. And when he wrote the book of Colossians, you recall as we finished it last week, he would sign off. He, he is addressing certain individuals that were in the church that he had discipled that were with him, uh, giving their greetings to the church of Colossae. He had never started the church there. He had never visited the city. But Paul, when he was in Ephesus on his third missionary journey, he was teaching at the school Tyrannus, and he would send uh, those students that, that heard him teach for two years, as he said to the Ephesian elders, I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. I would have loved to have been in those Bible studies. And as they went out and they planted churches, it is believed that perhaps that Epaphras and a man named Philemon would start a church there in Colossae, about 100 miles from the city of Ephesus. And as Paul is signing off, as we saw last week, finishing that epistle, he would write that Tychicus is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. He's going to come to you. He's going to tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know of your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And he's going to be traveling with one who's called Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So it's believed that Tychicus, along with Onesimus, they would leave Rome. Travel was very difficult and hard, and it was dangerous. They would go into Asia Minor, which is today called Turkey. They would stop at Ephesus. We know at the end of that epistle, Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus to you. 
he would deliver that epistle to the church there. He would then eventually travel about 100 miles to the east to Colossae. He has the epistle, the book of Colossians, and he also has that epistle that Paul, that he mentioned in the closing of the book of Colossians, a letter that he had written to the church at Laodicea. We don't have that epistle in the canon of scripture, but also as Paul is traveling here, or Tychicus with Onesimus, we know that Philemon uh, is uh, got a letter that's personally for him. Philemon was believed to be wealthy because he had a home big enough to hold the church, and the church was meeting in his home. And it is also believed by church historians that he was a man who was fairly wealthy because he had slaves. And it would be the wealthiest that would have slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century there of that day. It was believed that there were 60 million slaves, which was about 25% of the population. Now, when Tychicus and Onesimus would not only be carrying those other letters, but Onesimus, he would be helping Tychicus carry that letter, this letter, the book of Philemon. And we are going to see why Paul's writing to Philemon. Onesimus is probably a bit nervous here because he was a slave that belonged to Philemon. He runs away, Onesimus, to Rome. He's a runaway slave, and any runaway slave or rebellious slave under Roman law could be punished very, very severely by their master. So why is Onesimus now coming back to his master that he had run away from there in Colossae? Well, let's read this letter and let's find out. We read in verse 1 that Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. As I mentioned, Paul writes that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Interesting, you never see that Paul writes that I'm a prisoner of Rome or I'm a prisoner of the emperor. But he saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he knew that God had allowed him to be chained to those Roman soldiers for two years under house arrest, waiting to go on trial before the emperor. And it was all for God's purposes and for his glory. When he was writing one of the prison epistles, the book of Philippians, I've already mentioned that, that he would write that the things that have happened to me, because the church had a very special relationship with Paul, the Christians in Philippi, and they were concerned for him. What's going to happen to you, Paul? Are you going to be released or are you going to be put to death? He said, the things that have happened to me have turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he would write how the palace guards, some of him, of them had come to Christ. And he writes that my chains are in Christ. And I, I want to be one that I see things in an eternal perspective, like Paul did. Whenever that we feel like that we're chained or imprisoned by problems or difficulties, or all of us will find ourselves in a place where I don't want to be here, Lord. I know that I have. I just want to have that eternal perspective that the apostle has. I want to have that sense of peace and rest that, Lord, you have me here in this circumstance, in this place, facing these things for your glory and for your purposes. I may not understand it all right now, but I can trust you and rest in you. Even as Paul said, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. He would end up being released, and then about five years later, he would be rearrested, and he's thrown into a terrible dungeon where he would eventually be put to death by Caesar Nero. 
But Paul was one that he said, Lord, you're in control of my life, and I want to be able to say that in every circumstance that I face. And Paul, who would be faithful to the call of God in his life, would find himself in prison unjustly, unfairly. He hadn't broken any Roman law, but he doesn't complain and become bitter. He just trusts that God has him there for the furtherance of the gospel. And that was true because there were those who were getting saved. He, he was writing these prison epistles, and he would minister to those who were with him. As he goes on and says, I'm a prisoner of, of Jesus Christ. I'm in chains or in Christ. But as he says, and Timothy, our brother, is with me. Of course, we know that he was one of Paul's young protégés. He's with Paul in prison. And as we read in verse 1, he now addresses to Philemon, a beloved friend and fellow laborer, it is believed that perhaps Philemon was a convert of the Apostle Paul and a disciple of his, and they, they would become close during the time that Paul ministered there in Ephesus on that third missionary journey. He also would address Aphia, which is a female name. So it is believed that perhaps, and suggested, that she is Philemon's wife. And then Archippus, who's a fellow soldier. It is also suggested by some that perhaps he was the son of Philemon. We don't know for sure. But remember that last week as he closed the letter to the Colossian church, that he would address Archippus. He said, take heed to the ministry that you've received from the Lord. It could be that Archippus was the elder there of the church as he papyrus, the pastor, the elder, would go to Rome to visit Paul, uh, to tell of the affairs of what was going on, that he ended up running the church or being the elder of the church there, Archippus, and he needed to be encouraged. Hey, take heed. Take heed to the ministry which you receive from the Lord. He was maybe perhaps discouraged. Maybe he was being a bit lazy. We don't know for sure. But Paul exhorts them in that way. And we know that Archippus was involved in the Lord's work. So whether a son or just an elder that was there, um, he addressed him. And he addresses him here. And there were in those in the church... Again, we, we learn in the opening of this epistle that they were in Philemon's house. Most of the church met in homes in the first century there, you know, for a long time. They didn't have buildings like what we have. Sometimes we think, well, you know, our building is a small building that we're filling up. Even 8 o'clock was full this morning. And, and we think uh, of terms of church of buildings and the size. Uh, it, they didn't have that in the first century. They had homes. They met in homes. And a lot of us don't understand that much of the world, the Christians meet in homes as well. That you have the underground church in North Korea that they, they meet in homes. They, they, I remember talking to a missionary to, to North Korea, and he, he would uh, talk about how they would whisper, you know, as they would pray, they would whisper, be very quiet as they worship the Lord. But they gathered together under the threat of being executed. Many hundreds of thousands of home churches in China and the Far East and Africa, millions of home churches. And they're just as much as a church as we are or a mega church or somebody's got a huge building. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's customary greeting of grace and peace. And I think of the epistles that Paul wrote and even the other uh, apostles like John, there's a real personal uh, nature um, to their writing, addressing individuals, as we saw last week. These are real people, real accounts. 
that were in the church that Paul is exhorting, that he is writing to, that he was close to. I think of John as he writes to Gaius. He says that you're my joy, the joy of John. And so as he writes to him, he is going to make a plea to a friend, Philemon, as we continue reading. But first he says in verse 4, that I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. So Paul oftentimes, as you know, as you read the epistles of the apostle, that he would write that he was very thankful for the Christians. And, of course, he was one that prayed for them. You cannot read the Pauline epistles and not come away with the fact that intercessory prayer for the saints was an important part of Paul's life. And we saw that last week, of course, as he closed the letter. He would pray not only for the churches, but he would pray for individuals such as Philemon. And he would pray with thanksgiving. And being in prison, listen, Paul couldn't be about missionary journeys. He couldn't be about starting churches. He couldn't be about preaching out in the public. But instead of being bitter over what he couldn't do, he did what he could do. And he did with thanksgiving. And he prayed, and he knew that it was a powerful work of God. He would have a lot of time to pray being chained to a Roman guard. And I want to encourage you this morning because maybe you're in a place where the Lord's put something on your heart. Or, Lord, I wish you would open the door in this area. Or, wish I could do this. Or, that's my desire. And it's not happening. Wherever the Lord has placed you today and, and where you're at. Maybe you're raising kids and, and uh, you're at home. Or maybe, guys, you're working long hours. You're, you work hard providing for your family. And, and you desire to do more ministry or do more things. But don't focus on what you can't do. And besides, your ministry at home that that's where it begins. So we're going to see that when we go into the book of Nehemiah later this fall. But as you're ministering, do what you can do. Any of us, in whatever state we're in, wherever we're placed, you do what you can do, and all of us can pray. I think about David. David, he was one that he desired to build the temple. And Nathan says, do all that's on your heart, David. And Nathan spoke too soon, and he had to come back to David and said, David, You're not going to build the temple because you're a man of war. But your son Solomon, who's a man of peace, he's going to build the temple. And and David, even though he desired to build it, he didn't pout about it. He wasn't upset about it. But he did what he could do. And what he did is, as you read 2 Chronicles, you see that he gathered the materials for the temple. The the Lord would have him draw up plans. He would uh, get all the, the Levites and the priests and those ministering there all organized. So when he passed away and Solomon took the throne, that the materials were there. He would work with uh, the king of Tyre to get cedar logs. Everything was in place where Solomon could build the temple of the Lord, which was a magnificent building. So wherever you're at, You can still be a part of building the kingdom of God. Just do what you can do and trust the Lord that he will finish the work that he's begun in you. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to forget about you. And he'll open the doors in other areas, the things that he puts on your heart when the time is right. But if you feel like I'm just kind of stuck in this situation or circumstance or whatever it might be, 
Do what you can do. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. And then we see that Paul commends Philemon of his love and faith that he has towards the Lord and the Christians. And your faith in, in the Lord, your love for the saints, faith and love really go together. And we read in verse 6 that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You, Philemon, with your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for him and for the believers, all the saints, underline that. Because as we continue, Onesimus is going to be one of those brethren, as Paul is going to tell him. And Philemon, as you communicate and share the gospel and the truth of God's word, may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a little bit of a difficult sentence to translate exactly what is it that Paul is saying. And one thought is that Paul is simply saying that as he shared every good thing of God with people, how God had saved him, forgiven him, changed him, as he shared his faith, may that be acknowledged by those that he shared with. And, of course, we see that Paul, when he first was converted there on the road to Damascus, that the early church, the apostles held him out at arm's length. They're going, we're not so sure about this, Paul. He persecuted the church. Paul writes about how he was an insolent man, a violent man, a, a blasphemer, uh, that he wasted the church. And, and so it took a little while for those as they realized he shared that I am saved. And he was preaching the gospel, and, and they would come to know that God truly had changed him. Or it could be here that Philemon himself, as he shared his faith, is this is what the apostle is saying, would acknowledge the good things God had done in him. And that's true as well. You see, as we have the testimony of Jesus Christ and we become a new creation in Christ, we're born again, we're different. And as we share Christ, people are going, wow, you are different. You don't talk like you used to talk. You, your conduct is different. You're different than the world. Something has changed. Well, it's Jesus. He's given me a new heart. I've been born again. So they acknowledge that. But also we acknowledge as we share with others that Jesus has changed me. He's real to me. And may others acknowledge that as we share that, the testimony of God's work in us and in our hearts. For we have great joy and consolation, verse 7, in your love, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So Paul expressing to Philemon, we have joy and we have comfort in us because we have heard how you bless and ministered and loved the saints in Colossae, and you have refreshed their hearts. And I just want to remind you, that's what we are to do with one another I pray that we never get into the mindset, if I'm just going to come and get my digs in, I'm going to come and just, you know, I can't wait to criticize that person or whatever it might be. I hope we don't live life that way. But we are refreshing to others. Refreshing in the Lord. And it doesn't mean that we don't bring correction when we need to. Of course we do. But we do it with the spirit of, I care about you and I love you and I want you to do well in the Lord. How do people see you when you come at them? Are they going to run away from you? Or knowing that this is a brother, this is a sister that's going to refresh me in the Lord? And I believe that Paul is being sincere in what he's writing to Philemon. Uh, he, he's not being manipulative. He's not being demanding. He's not going to be overbearing in this, this request he gives to him. But he's setting the stage of what he is going to be asking of Philemon. You're my good friend. Uh, there's one more brother that I want you to show love to. And Paul now makes a plea on behalf of Onesimus. Let's read verse 8. 
Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I'd rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged. I, I like that he puts that in there, the aged. He was about my age when he wrote this, so, uh, you know, Pastor Jeff, the age, uh, and there are some days I feel it. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So Paul, he has apostolic authority. He's a leader in the church. Uh, much of the New Testament Paul wrote. Uh, he could have written to Philemon and give this command. That's what he says to her. I could have been very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, but he doesn't do that. Rather, he says, I'm going to appeal to you for love's sake. The tone of this letter could have been from Paul the Apostle to Philemon. Greetings to you. And now I command you with my apostolic authority to receive this slave who ran away from you and stole from you. Verse 18, we'll see that. Went to Rome to hide, but now as a Christian, I command you, I demand you to receive him and forgive him. But Paul wisely doesn't do that. But rather, he says, for love's sake, I appeal to you because of your love for the Lord and for the brethren. I'm hearing that even here in Rome, in my prison cell, your love for God and for the brethren, it brings me joy. You're doing well. And because of God's love that we have for each other as brothers in Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. And I wonder what was going through Philemon's mind when he reads this letter. Tychicus comes to him and he says, Paul has a letter for you personally, Philemon. And here it is. And he's excited. He's wondering, wow, Paul wrote me a letter? And he opens it up and he's reading it. And he's being blessed by the opening words that we just went through and read. And he's commended for his love and and for the relationship that they have. And I'm praying for you, Philemon, and I appeal to you when he, that split second when he reads that, he's probably thinking, I bet Paul wants me to come and visit him. Or he has some ministry for me. And all of a sudden he reads the name Onesimus. And he, I just wonder if he's thinking, what? Onesimus, receive him? How did he get into that prison with Paul? He did me wrong. He stole from me. And we think about it. The reason that Onesimus would go to Rome was probably to hide amongst all the people that were there. We don't know the exact circumstances that brought him to Paul. I just wonder if Onesimus, he's in that city, he doesn't know what to do. He says, I'm going to see Paul because I know that he's a man of love. There's something different about Paul. I'm going to seek him out. And listen, as you have the love of Jesus Christ coming from you, and as you're one that you desire to be refreshing to others, you'll be amazed those who will seek you out that you never thought would. Remember Daniel in the book of Daniel? When Nebuchadnezzar died, it's about 20 years that you don't hear that Daniel was in the public eye till at the end of the Babylonian Empire when Bajazzar's having this party and all of a sudden the handwriting's on the wall and he is 
his knees knocking. He's so terrified. He tries to bring in his magicians, his seisuers, his wise men, interpret the handwriting, said, we can't do this. And all of a sudden, the queen says, there's a man that was in your grandfather's kingdom, Daniel. He has wisdom. Bring him out. And Daniel comes out. For 20 years, he had not been in the public eye, but they knew that he had godly wisdom, which is different than worldly wisdom. You'll be amazed how people will seek you out. Even if they're not believers, saying, I know there's something different about them. In their wisdom and their refreshing, I'm going to seek them out. You be ready. And maybe that person in your family or at work that ignores you and laughs at you, you just be ready. It may be 20 days, it may be 20 months, it may be 20 years. But as you are a godly example, you'll be amazed how they will seek you out in that time that they need wisdom. And I think that perhaps that's why we don't know for sure Onesimus ends up meeting Paul. And as he gets saved, now Paul writes, I appeal to you, Philemon, in love to my son. That is my son in the faith, Onesimus. He was unprofitable to you. I wonder if the hair on the back of Philemon has stood up when he read Onesimus' name. Yeah, he's unprofitable. But Paul says, now he is profitable to not only you, but to me. It's interesting that the name Philemon literally means useful. It's a play on words here. He was, is useful now. He was useless, but now he's born again. He's useful in the best sense of the word. I appeal to you out of love's sake. And you see, just as we will read here that Onesimus, his love for God is real. It's evident in his life. We will see that this runaway slave was a blessing to Paul, but just as his love is genuine for God, I want you to be genuine in your brotherly love for Onesimus when he comes back to you. I appeal to you. I wonder, Philemon, if any harsh and unloving feeling towards Onesimus, if it now is beginning to melt away, or he's thinking, okay, Lord, I need your help. It's easy to receive that brother, sister, that person who's real nice to you, helpful. What about that one who's hurt you or stole from you? They've repented. They want to restore that relationship. They've been born again. This letter is is really speaking to us, do we receive them? How do we receive them? And Paul's going to be making the point that Onesimus, his conversion is real. He's a beloved brother. Let's let's read about that, verse 12. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, but if it were by voluntary. Paul is such a wise man here, godly wisdom. Philemon, uh, I wish that Onesimus could stay with me and minister to me in my chains but I'm sending him back to you I, I, I won't keep him here with me I'm not going to do that without your consent if you do send him back to me I want you to do it on the basis that you've received Onesimus as he comes to you you receive him in the spirit of forgiveness and restoration between brothers and it was the right thing for Paul to do I'm sure that Paul talked with Onesimus about this you need to go back and make things right Because not only was Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother in the Lord, but it's true that Onesimus needed to to treat Philemon as a brother and do what was right as well. I ran away and I stole from you. 
and an Onesimus returning would show that he had repented and desired restoration. And it would be a test of faith for Onesimus to trust God because, again, he could be severely punished, and it would be a test of love for Philemon. So Paul, in his wisdom, says, I appeal to you now, Philemon, for love's sake, for love's sake. He could have said, again, demanding, commanding. He doesn't do that. Paul could have thought, I'll fix this. I'll keep him here with me. I won't say anything. Uh, I'll just keep it quiet and keep him safe. I'll fix this situation. But Paul wanted there to be true restoring forgiveness and brotherly love extended to each other. For God to truly work here. As parents, we know how that is. That raise kids when they begin to fight when they're little. And tell your brother that you're sorry. Sorry. You got to deal with their hearts. But for us, maybe someone here, you have somebody in your life that they stole from you, they hurt you, and all of a sudden they become a Christian and they, they want forgiveness. They want there to be restoration. Maybe even a Christian that has realized that I've hurt. I've hurt my brother and sister, and I need to go to them and ask for forgiveness. And we can be so hard-hearted about that and to forget that God desires that restoration. And I know that relationships get severed, and they get strained, and they become very difficult. That's why Paul said, live peaceably with all people, if possible. But I think that a lot of times we can dig in our heels and harden our hearts towards the one who truly wants to ask for forgiveness and restoration. And here Paul says, I appeal to you. Receive him. He's my son in the faith now. Things are a lot different. It's not just about you being a slave owner, dealing with a runaway slave. There are a lot of, you know, of circumstances that are different now. And it's about Onesimus is now a son in the faith. And just as you were a son in the faith, that changes everything. And now he wants to make it right in coming back to you. You do what is right in receiving him. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Paul says he ran away maybe for the purpose. That's what God wanted. So he would come to me, he would get saved, and now he's a slave not for you, but for the Lord. God is working this for good. Think about it, Philemon. Get in line with what God is doing. And not only Onesimus' life, but your life. If then, verse 17, you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he was, has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention uh, to you that you owe me even as you own um, self beside. Paul continues to plead with Philemon here. And he, he says, receive Onesimus. Uh, if you count me as a partner, treat Onesimus as you would treat me. He's guilty. He deserves punishment. If he owes you anything, Paul didn't specifically name Onesimus' offense, but it could be that he stole money, as we read. Some goods, or Philemon may have suffered financial loss because of the absence of Onesimus' services. If he has wronged you, owes you, put it on my account. 
Interesting, Paul was not involved in any way in the wrongdoing or sin of Onesimus. He says, put it on my account. I'll pay the price. Does that remind you in a very tiny way of something? Right? You and I were enslaved to the world. And we should have, we deserve death. But Jesus went to the cross, and on that cross he said, paid in full. I paid the price for your sins, and now we come, and now we're no longer slaves to the world, but we're servants of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, verse 19, kind of throws out a, a zinger here. Remember, Philemon, that I have a lot of credit on your account. What is Paul saying here? Is he saying, you owe me, Philemon? You know that person that comes and says, you owe me. No, I don't think he's saying that. I think he's saying, just as I was enchained here in Rome for the Lord, prisoner of Jesus, he brought me your runaway slave so that he could hear the gospel, no longer be in heaven's mind a, a slave of yours, but a servant, a slave for Jesus Christ. And Philemon, the Lord loved you enough to do the same thing, to bring you to me so that you wouldn't be a slave to the world and sin, but a slave for Jesus Christ. And yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me that I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. So what happened to Onesimus when he went back? We don't know. But if there was a second Philemon, I personally believe, this is my own opinion, that Paul, that he would commend Philemon for doing well. If there was a second Philemon that you received Onesimus and you forgave him, you set him free from this slavery that, that he was under to be a servant of Jesus, and Paul would express his joy once again of Philemon's love. Paul was confident of that, he says. Kind of a little interesting side note. At the end of the first century, there was the bishop of Ephesus that his name was Onesimus. And many believe that that's the same Onesimus that's being written here. So I want to close with this. Be open to when somebody comes that's been born again that maybe hurt you, that wants to make things right. Ask the Lord for help. I'm sure that Philemon had to do that. Because you don't know how God wants to use that person, not only in your life, but to others. And to know that God desires for there, in the relationships that we have that are not perfect at all, that are very difficult, for there to be healing and restoring, and for us to go that extra measure of love that we show to others when they come to us, desiring for that relationship to be restored. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, it's not always easy to do this, but we learn from this epistle that that's your desire, that when somebody that perhaps has done us wrong ran away, or, that, Lord, that when they come back in humility and true repentance, that our hearts would be open to receive them. Lord, the hurts are real. Relationships that are severed and strained are real. So we need you. We need your wisdom. 
And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that you're really speaking to them about this very thing, that, Lord, that you would just speak to their hearts clearly and soften their hearts. Maybe there's somebody here that you know you need to go back and make it right with somebody in repentance and humility and restoring that relationship in sincerity. So, Lord, however you're speaking to us and how we can counsel others in this area, Lord, I pray we would go out of here knowing that you desire to work in wonderful, incredible ways because you're the God of restoration and brings healing and brings forgiveness. I want to pray for anyone who may be here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, he paid the price for you, for your sins. And the wages of sin is death. But he came to give you life as you come in faith. You come to the cross believing that Jesus is the Son of God who died for you and rose again. And you can do that right now to be forgiven, to come and be saved, to be born again by the Spirit of God as you cry out, Jesus, sincerely in your heart, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. You paid it all. I believe that. Forgive me. And you rose again from the grave and you're alive. And I ask that you would forgive me. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you that now you've made me a servant for you to live for you in this new beginning. That I may please you and give a testimony to others that you've made me a new creation in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.